I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Erica Chan. She leads brand customer experience and insights function at Alibaba.com. Alibaba.com is one of the world's largest B2B e-commerce marketplaces and a business unit of the larger Alibaba group. On the show today, we talk about the 23, almost $24 trillion global B2B e-commerce market, which is six times larger than the global B2C e-commerce market. We also talk about how Alibaba is transitioning from a Chinese brand to a global brand and localizing their brand around the world. We talk about the pandemic and the effects on U.S. small businesses and B2B companies, as well as how Alibaba.com is transitioning with their virtual trade shows. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Erica Chan. Erica, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. We're living through this pandemic. We're all probably working from home. And I hear you're living in uh, apartment living in Brooklyn. Uh, it must be pretty tight, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is an understatement, but yeah, it's been it's been a journey. Uh, although I cannot complain, but uh, living at home and working from home with a six year old and a husband that also works from home has been uh, has required creativity. And so, for example, right now I'm actually 
uh, huddled right outside my bathroom on the floor because at any minute, if my daughter barges in the door, this is actually the door that locks and I've discovered that I get decent Wi-Fi on the (laughs) other side. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> you have to find your quiet spaces um, and, and, <laughs> and hold those things dear uh, to yourself. Let's talk about your path and your role at Alibaba.com, where you're leading brand and corporate strategy. Tell me a little bit about like, what did you do before Alibaba? And then how did, how did you make your way to Alibaba.com? I joined Alibaba in towards the end of 2018. Uh, to lead uh, the brand and corporate strategy function for Alibaba.com, which is one of the biggest business-to-business e-commerce marketplace platforms in the world. What people often get confused between Alibaba.com and Alibaba Group is that Alibaba.com is actually one business unit within a much larger Alibaba Group. And so in my role, I help transform Alibaba.com Uh, in a couple of ways, and the most important of which is to help it really go to market and launch in the U.S. And so, for example, when we first started in the summer of 2019, uh, we unveiled uh, some expanded platform capabilities to really allow U.S. small businesses in the B2B space to use uh, an online platform to reach millions of business buyers in the U.S. and around the world. Before Alibaba, I uh, used to work at OpenSky, which was a startup, a a holding company of other e-commerce platforms focused on the B2C space in the U.S., Uh, and and OpenSky was subsequently acquired by Alibaba in 2018. And before that, I, I had a career in brand and strategy consulting where I worked with, and I was lucky enough to work with some of the biggest and most exciting global brands and companies to help build their business and define who they want to be and how do they get there. That's a fascinating um, pathway, you know, going from brand strategy to e-commerce, technology, marketing, if you will, and now Alibaba.com. I know a lot of people have heard of Alibaba. I mean, we in the U.S., you know, as a U.S.-centric person myself, you know, you hear the name and you just think, wow, it's, one, it's a massive group. Um, the group overall with so many different businesses underneath it from payment businesses like the Ant Group to to Alibaba.com, which is a marketplace. Can you help us dimensionalize it? Because it is a ginormous company. I don't think many U.S. folks realize how big it is. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, right, Alibaba Group, it's a very big company, but it's really a parent and a holding company for a lot of different business units. And these different business units play in different spaces across sort of the digital economy, from payments to logistics to marketplaces to entertainment, you name it. But Alibaba.com, as one unit within Alibaba Group, is focused on global B2B e-commerce. And Alibaba.com was actually the first business that Jack Ma and the founders of Alibaba Group started over 20 years ago in 1999. And when they founded Alibaba.com, they had a very simple and an elegant mission, if you would, which is how can we use technology to make it easy for the world's small and medium-sized businesses to do business anywhere? And that is a mission that 
continues to hold true and we're so committed to it, which is how can we really help the small and medium-sized businesses unlock growth opportunities and stay competitive in this digital world? We've seen a stat, right, that the global business-to-business e-commerce opportunity, it's about $24 trillion, which is six times larger than the B2C opportunity. So when we talk about e-commerce, people often think about sort of our personal purchases, right? But that market is actually only one-sixth of the opportunity that business-to-business trade represents, which is a mind-blowing stat. For the first 18 years, uh, Alibaba.com, we were essentially an online listing platform. So think about really a digital yellow pages, if you would where our sellers would list their contact information, their production capabilities, and then the buyers, these are business buyers from around the world, would come and look up suppliers who are able to supply or manufacture whatever products it is that they need. And so for a long time, right, it was actually a place where global and a a lot of them being U.S.-based, small businesses looking for sellers, manufacturers, primarily in China and in Asia. Fast forward, though, to around 2017, and Alibaba.com and Alibaba Group realized that we need to really transform the platform to take it into the 21st century and to make it truly helpful and relevant to today's business-to-business trade. And so we transformed the platform in a couple of ways. One is we enhance the functionality and capabilities of the platform. So in addition to it being a place where a buyer and a seller would meet, we're also uh, building in trading uh, features and capabilities so that the buyer and the seller can meet one another, but they can also complete that trade on our platform. So everything from payments and financing to accessing logistics and other supply chain solutions. A second uh, transformation is to really diversify the supply. As I mentioned, because of the way we grew up, the majority of the sellers on our platform are based in China or Asia. And so with the transformation, we realize that we really need to globalize the supply on the platform and opening up the platform to U.S.-based sellers to access global demand is a big priority of ours. And so What's very exciting, right, is that we are sort of on this mission to transform a 20-plus-year-old business to make it even easier for small businesses to do business anywhere. And we're seeing that Alibaba.com is now one of the fastest-growing business units within the much larger Alibaba group. It's fascinating to just study Alibaba in general and Alibaba Group and Jack Ma, the founder that you mentioned and the stat that you threw out of six times larger than B2C. So, you know, for Americans out there listening to this or other folks that just aren't as familiar with Alibaba, you could add up eBay, Shopify, Amazon, <laughs> and then multiply it by six to see the the, the market that Alibaba.com is playing. And that's, it's hard to even like comprehend, frankly. Well, in your, in your role in driving global growth, including in the U.S., how do you think about localizing a global brand and what was traditionally maybe seen as an Asian or Chinese brand? How do you think about one, I guess, globalizing it and then localizing it as you expand into different markets? The story is actually quite meta. 
because as we are helping U.S. companies go global, right, and we're helping U.S. companies go global in two ways, by being able to sell and access demand uh, that are both in the next state on the other side of the country, but also across oceans and seas. And we're also helping them with offering more options in terms of their supply chain. And so we're helping them overcome the barrier of essentially geography, language barriers, et cetera. But at the same time, Alibaba.com and Alibaba Group, right, as a, as a company is also globalizing. The fact that our team exists, our small team exists in the U.S., right, to help U.S. small businesses globalize. We're also going through this ourselves and we understand the necessity, the challenges of how to access new markets. And first and foremost, I think we understand and appreciate the importance of local knowledge and being able to offer a local perspective to a global strategy. And I think just speaking for Alibaba.com for a second, this has been an interesting journey, right? To, to go global while going local. And I think things that we need to keep in mind is that while Alibaba Group is very big and, and it's very successful, we know that things that might work in one country or one region might not necessarily always transfer to another region. So how do we appreciate local markets, local ecosystems? How do we forge those local relationships has been very important to us. And what we're doing here uh, in New York, in, in the U.S., is to how do we make sure we can bring back these local perspectives to inform a much larger global strategy, right? And one of these things we're, we're trying to do is how do we, how do we transfer knowledge? How do we talk about it? And how do we ourselves become an accelerator for, for the globalization of a much larger company? As I was taking a look at the platform itself um, ahead of the interview today, you can source or buy or transact anything on Alibaba.com. I mean, literally, I feel like there's no category, no product idea that you can think of that's not in existence on Alibaba.com. I mean, from you know, high-end electronics to iron parts, you know, like uh, it's all there. How are B2B companies in the U.S. like turning to Alibaba.com and has it changed at all during the pandemic that we've been going through? Yes. <laughs> yes, is the short <laughs> answer. I think for, for U.S. businesses that use Alibaba.com, right, our, our platform's goal is to make sourcing and selling of things so easy and so efficient, right, that we can help uh, small businesses easily expand their reach and also optimize their supply chain. But ultimately, the goal is that so that these small business owners, these entrepreneurs can spend their time on things that they really care about, like coming up with their new product ideas or strengthening and growing their business. And so in terms of how are U.S. companies using Alibaba.com? They can use it in two ways, right? They can use the platform to source, access as supply, and they can also use the platform to sell, to reach customers. On the buyer side, our platform has a very high volume of active buyers, uh, upwards of 20 million. And today, about 30% of these buyers are based in the U.S. And so uh, what 
the buyers uh, come to the platform for is really, as you mentioned, the almost unrivaled uh, catalog of products, but more importantly, it's the manufacturing capabilities. Not only are there wide selections uh, of products that you can find on the platform, it's really the, the manufacturers behind those products, right? Very often, our buyers come to us with an idea and they, through their discussions with, with manufacturers, they can actually bring those ideas to life into an actual product. And so I would say the buyers that come to our platform, they really span the gamut in terms of small and medium-sized businesses. They're manufacturers, they're wholesalers, they're retailers, they're brands that are looking for uh, manufacturing capabilities. And they're also just businesses that need to buy a lot of things in order to keep their businesses going. One thing I would note, though, like a difference between buying on Alibaba.com versus another platform that is more designed for B2C trade is the volume, right? A lot of the products that you find on our platform have a relatively high uh, minimum order quantity. So people are not buying one or two pieces of each thing. They're really buying pallets. And our sort of average order size is in the thousands rather than the tens or the hundreds. The other way U.S. businesses use our platform is to sell. And it was very exciting that in uh, the summer of 2019, we sort of went to market and launched our expanded features tailored to U.S. sellers in the summer of 2019. And what that allowed sellers to do is really access three things at once. The three things being how do they set up a digital storefront to sort of upload their catalog and present their capabilities online. Two is once they set up the storefront, getting the traffic and the eyeballs that they want so that folks from near and far can discover their businesses and, and begin to trade with them. And the third and something that we're really trying is really building out an ecosystem where in addition to accessing demand, that our sellers can access an ecosystem of services, right? Things like logistics and payment uh, support, but also content that we think are super important in order for these U.S.-based sellers to succeed in global and regional trade. Interesting, especially on the the services component, the ecosystem you just talked about. I, I hadn't thought about that, but if you're trying to globalize your business um, and whatever means that is, selling, buying, sourcing, providing services, it is complicated, <laughs> or it can be, and that education component or, or services to help ease that transition that does seem like a really important piece of the. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Puzzle. Absolutely. And you also mentioned, Alan, uh, how COVID uh, has changed things. And what we're seeing, frankly, is during the pandemic, what has become very clear is that digitization or going digital, having an online presence and tapping into e-commerce is no longer just something that's good to have. And what we've really seen is sort of 10, 20 years of change being accelerated and taking place in just a few weeks or months. And so what we're seeing is that the U.S., for example, or our U.S. seller base is one of our highest growth segments uh, on the platform. And we're also seeing that uh, the volume of trade amongst U.S. businesses on our platform has massively increased. And so we actually did a survey uh, of not just our customers, but 5,000 U.S. small business decision makers uh, towards the end of last year. And we wanted to take a pulse and understand where businesses are when it comes to adopting digital channels and their appetite for going global. And what we've seen is that companies are getting digital and going global during the pandemic. So just some stats that I'll throw at you. For example, we we did a first wave of the study uh, in 2019, and we knew that uh, around 90% of U.S. small businesses are using or are saying they're doing some sort of their business, some part of their business online. That percent, I mean, 90 was already pretty high. That went up to 93%. But what is really a big change was that of those uh, 93%, 43% are using e-commerce platforms, which is an eight percentage point increase since 2019. And so what we're seeing is that people are not just using their computers, but they're actually uh, using e-commerce as a as an important component of their sales and sourcing strategy. We're seeing that as a result of that, uh, people are hiring and retaining staff specifically to support their digital operations and their e-commerce. And so in our survey, a little over half, 56% of the businesses hired new staff or at least kept their existing staff level who are dedicated to supporting e-commerce. And what is also fascinating, right, is that e-commerce is actually a gateway to going global because when you can do things online, you can go much further than you can physically uh, on a train or, or on a plane. And so what we're seeing is that the shift to digital is also driving more international cross-border trade. We're seeing, right, that the companies we surveyed say that international trade is now making up 20% sorry, 25% of their business, which again is an eight percentage point increase from just 17% in 2019. And so we're seeing over the course of a little under a year, we're seeing massive change in terms of these small business decision makers in the U.S. really looking towards digital and global markets in order to uh, continue to grow their businesses. Amazing growth, uh, if you will. I mean, we we always you know you hear it in the news on the B two C front, you know, e commerce sales, et cetera, through the pandemic. But gosh, it only makes logical sense that it would be happening in the B two B world as well. But we're not hearing about it. I know, and frankly, the B two B world has been a little bit behind uh, when it comes to adopting 
digitization, but we're seeing that they're really catching up, which is very exciting. Quite amazing, especially as you think about just how to be, how to have a healthy business in a world that continues to change. Technology and e-commerce play a huge role in making sure you can stay healthy and, and not survive, but just thrive as well. Well, speaking of pandemic and the and the pivots that the B2B folks are doing, you're also pivoting the business with these virtual trade shows we talked about at the, or, or highlighted last conversation. Tell me about how they work and what the response has been. I guess it was a year ago now, almost to the day, right? When COVID hit, a lot of things stopped. And, and one of those things being in-person trade shows and, and in-person conferences. And in-person trade shows had actually been one of the most important business development and customer acquisition channels for, for B2B, right? That's really how people got leads and how businesses got done. But overnight, that was something that just went away. On the buyer side, they also missed out on sort of an avenue to discover new and innovative products, to meet and negotiate with suppliers. And so we felt like we needed to step up and, and continue to create that forum for buyers and sellers to interact in real time so that trade can continue. And so we launched something that we called Online Trade Shows USA. And these are category-specific online events that lasted a few days at a time. And last year, the three shows that we put on, one was centered around supplements and nutrition, one was around food and beverage, and another around beauty and personal care. And these really provided the forum for our U.S.-based sellers to showcase their goods through our social media platform, through uh, interactive live stream platforms, so that they can showcase their capabilities and answer questions in real time to thousands and then eventually millions of viewers. And so that was a success. And actually recently, uh, this past month, we felt that there was opportunity to make these category-specific trade shows even bigger. And so in February, we launched something on Alibaba.com, which is the Made in the USA uh, trade show as part of the Global Products Expo. And this was really the first time where a US-focused event was featured front and center on Alibaba.com's homepage. And this is a homepage that gets millions of daily visitors, right? And so we just felt it was very exciting that we could create, again, that stage for our U.S.-based sellers to showcase their amazing products. And so they were allowed to, for example, upload videos of tours of their factories, do live product demos, uh, and then through the platform, they can also respond to questions and inquiries. And it was really exciting to see how sort of hundreds of, of sellers from 30 states or a little over 30 states uh, around the country participated and were able to showcase their capabilities to a very global audience. And what great exposure for those businesses and those companies. It's pretty amazing just to think about. I mean, as a marketer and, you know, maybe stepping back from your current role, uh, a little bit, you think about marketing and companies and how they'll need to change in 2021. How do you think about it? What do you think is kind of top of mind for marketers as we go into 2021? At least what's top of mind for me is how do we continue to earn and build that trust with our customers? I think building that trust and, and finding a meaningful way to interact with them, it's more important than ever. And so how do we really 
uh, step up. And our ethos, our North Star right, for Alibaba.com is how can we really be an ally to our customers? How can we make sure that we're there to help them eliminate barriers to trade uh, and barriers to, to doing business so that they can thrive? And so what sort of keeps me up at night is how can we actually deliver on that promise and how do we actually add true value to our customers so it's not all just talk. And I think we have a very customer-centric approach to everything that we do, but I do think being able to really place the customer at the center uh, and, and working backwards from that uh, in order to inform not just marketing, but sort of every customer experience decision that we make is very important. The notion of trust has come up a number of times on the podcast recently. Actually, at the beginning of the year, there was an episode with a Deloitte and um, they were talking about trends in marketing going going forward and trust was one of the biggest. Um, and we were talking about, I think it was Edelman research around how um, so many governments as well as businesses are just not trusted <laughs> in various realms, right? And and it's it's a it's a something that everyone needs to be working on. And the notion that you just described, I think, is the, one of the most important. Is that to build trust? It's not only just putting the customer at the center of what you're doing, but actually designing the experiences to be more helpful and to engender delivery on your promise. One thing that I always say is that our brand team or our marketing team do not only include people who have brand or marketing in their job titles. We feel very strongly that everyone within the organization is part of our brand and marketing team, right? Whether you're in sales, whether you're in product development, in research and insights, all of these different parts play a role in delivering a customer experience and in building that trust. And so we just all need to work together and make sure that we are sort of together earning that trust through better products, better experiences, better services. I want to switch gears entirely. We uh, turn the microphone around, so to speak, and, and, and get to know you uh, a little bit better as a person as well. Uh, we know you live in a small, small-ish apartment in New York with a daughter, and your bathroom is a very quiet place. <laughs> but... So we know know enough already, but I love asking this question, which is my favorite question to ask, is what experience of your past uh, do you think defines or makes up who you are today? I think one thing is uh, sort of for the majority of my life, I've always been an expat. I grew up in Hong Kong, but I left home uh, when I was 15 to go to boarding school abroad, and I have sort of been a nomad ever since. And I think being an expat or a nomad or a visitor sort of gives me a unique perspective. And that's something that's just that's just part of who I am. Right? I think it gives me an interesting sort of distance uh, with the cultures and the places and the people that I surround myself with. But it also allows me to develop a kind of empathy that I think is very important, especially in the in the world of marketing and customer experience development. I'm envisioning you as like a, a um, world traveling uh, anthropologist, <laughs> where you're where you're observe you're observant in ways in which if you if it was your culture that you were in, you might be blind to. 
Does that make sense to you? Is that? Yeah, I love that. I might borrow that from you. Sure, sure. Yeah. No, I, I had this visual come to mind and it, uh, especially as you talked about the distance and the empathy component of the perspective it gives you. It's kind of interesting. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over again? I think one of the hardest things to learn and also to get comfortable with as a woman, maybe that's not fair, but I think it's it's the importance of being comfortable talking about and marketing yourself. It's kind of ironic because I'm sort of in the world of marketing, but I actually find myself not always being able to sort of market and, and talk about myself in a, in a comfortable way. And I think that is actually quite important. It is. Uh, I would agree. I mean, it, and I think it's underestimated how important it can be to your career in, in part. Um, but I think uh, there's probably more personal reflection you get too as you as you find the best way to market yourself. But that that's interesting. Well, so from two deeper questions to one silly one, <laughs> um, I'm curious if there's been an impactful purchase that you've made in the last year of a hundred dollars or less that you'd like to share. Lots of impactful purchases, but I think. One area of purchase is that we have accumulated a, a lot of plants, house plants and greenery uh, in the apartment over the last six to 12 months, I must say. I think, I guess because we are all stuck inside, uh, bringing a piece of the out of doors in has, has actually really livened things up. Any favorite plant? Um, <laughs> you don't have to, I don't have to have one, but I was just curious if there's a The type. ones that do not die are the best. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. There's a. I interviewed a um, CMO of um, one of the divisions of Walgreens or Boots Walgreens in the UK, and he was also talking about plants. And um, there was this one plant. I, gosh, I can't remember. The, it has this funny name. It's like uh, something to the effect of like your stepmother's something or other um but he loved them and he had like 40 of them oh i, around I them. have them they're called your mother-in-law's tongue that's it mother-in-law's tongue that's what it was and i was like what uh i'd never heard of it i've seen them before but i never knew that it had that name they're very hardy yes yes yeah so I, it sounds like those are plants that don't die <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> almost like your mother-in-law's tongue, you know, <laughs> so it makes, makes sense. I hope my mother-in-law is not, not listening <laughs> to this. So anyway, moving on as a marketer, uh, I'm curious if there's brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of. Yeah. So uh, a new company that I came across in the last couple of months, I was, I took the subway for the first time in a long time a few weeks ago. And I actually saw an ad uh, on the subway platform and it was a company called Back Market. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but they are a marketplace for refurbished devices. And I was just looking more into them and they're very mission driven. Uh, and their mission is to really, how do we reduce environmental waste caused by devices? And I think that's fascinating because especially with COVID and the increased need for digitization, as we mentioned, right? Devices are indispensable and yet they actually take a lot of energy to create. And then it also, they sort of last for a long time and, and sort of end up in landfills and whatnot. 
back market trying to create not just a marketplace, but really uh, an economy for refurbished devices so that people can sort of make more use out of out of these devices so that A, they become more affordable, and then B, also they become more sort of environmentally responsible. I think it's a fascinating concept. Definitely. And especially as you think about all the virtual students, <laughs> it's just in the US, um, and many of those students, uh, I would imagine, have a hard time accessing devices or, or cheaply accessing devices. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And and for the environment, for all those reasons you just laid out, I'll have to check them out. I haven't heard of them before. Well, last question for you. Curious what you think is the you know either largest opportunity or biggest threat that marketers are facing today. So I think uh, similar to what I was talking about earlier, I think a big threat uh, is if people within an organization operate in silos. And so I think the the opportunity is really how do we better integrate marketing, comms, customer experience, sort of all together. So all of these different pieces work together to deliver customer value and to build that relationship and trust with our customers. Because I do think, right, especially in the world right now, it's it's harder and harder to draw the lines between sort of where PR ends and where marketing begins or where product experience starts and where service begins, right? And so I think organizations that internally are siloed and, and see these different functions being very separated at the end might not be sort of well positioned to deliver the greatest customer benefit. Erica, thank you so much for coming on the show. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.